things are about to get wild. <laughs> hey there, this is Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast Walking with Dante, a podcast that has walked to the very end of Canto 10 of Purgatorio. That's where we're going to be. Lines 112 through 139 of Dante's Purgatorio, the middle canticle of his masterwork comedy. We are going to use my English language translation of the medieval Florentine. You can find my translation on my website, markscarborough.com or walkingwithdante.com. You can read along, print it off, or you can continue the conversation there with me. You can also find me in the Facebook group, Walking with Dante. And beyond that, of course, you can find me on TikTok and on Instagram. I just am everywhere except not on X. I've left that far behind me. Anyway, this passage is going to get wild and wooly. If you recall, we've gotten up to the first major terrace after the gate of Purgatory. We have seen some intaglios, some carvings in the marble, three different scenes. And then Virgil has alerted the pilgrim that people are coming around the bend. And here they come in this incredibly mind-torking passage, Purgatorio, Canto 10, lines 112 through 139. I began, Master, the ones I see coming toward us don't resemble people in the least. I don't know what they are. What I see is so confounding. And he replied to me, the ponderous quality of their woe pushes them down to the earth so that at first even my eyes seemed out of whack. But hold your gaze right there. Use your eyes to untangle what's sitting underneath those stones. At this point, you can already see how each one pounds his chest. Oh, proud Christians, oh, weary wretches, you're sick with those visions that fill up your brains. You've put your confidence in backward-leading steps. Don't you get it? We're born as worms, but we can morph into the angelic butterfly that soars up to justice without any obstacle. What makes your spirits rear up so high and mighty? You're about like defective things, like a squishy worm that can't even hold its shape. To hold up a roof or a ceiling, just where the base juts out, we sometimes see a figure crouching down with its knees pressed against its chest. That untrue depiction may truly cause distress in someone who sees it. Such were these I saw when at last I could tell what was what. In truth, they were more or less crushed by whatever the size of the burdens on their backs. Even the guy who showed the most patience seemed to say through his tears, I just can't anymore. There's the passage in all its glory, and you might miss how mind-blowing this thing is if you just focus on the prophetic denunciation that lies at its center. We come across those nine lines in which the poet steps forward not as the poet, but much more as the prophet, offering a condemnation of Christians well, it seems to be globally. That's sitting there so loud, we might miss what's going around it. So here's what I want to do. I want to start with the prophetic denunciation and then move back to the narrative story. 
I'm starting at line 121 and going on for nine lines. Oh, proud Christians. And now we know what's going on. We've already had the mention of humility from the intaglios in the last passage. And now by this use of the word proud or its noun pride, we know exactly what's happening on this, the first terrace of purgatory. This is where those who must repent of pride find their penance. Oh, proud Christians, oh, weary wretches. We've seen this phrase before, weary wretches. It came up in Inferno, way toward the bottom in Canto 32, line 21. There, Dante and Virgil are walking across the ice sheet of Cocytus, and they are particularly in Caina, and they come across two brothers frozen in the ice against each other, and a voice comes out of the blue to offer this condemnation of weary wretches and be careful where you step because there are heads everywhere. And you may remember this. We had a lot of discussion about who actually says that. Is it Virgil? Is it one of the damned locked in the ice? But the phrase does come back up here. And if we think back to Caina, those who were treacherous against kindred, we then see a link here with the proud. Not that the proud have been treacherous, but we must be near the very heart of human error. And certainly Dante would see pride as the heart of human error. And so we find a repeated phrase here coming to us out of Caina at the bottom of Inferno. The passage goes on. You're sick. Humans are sick. Those visions that fill up your brains. And this is so crazy, right? Because isn't this Dante the poet? Doesn't he have visions that have filled up his brain? No, because the claim is this journey really went down. He doesn't have visions. He walked across the known universe. <laughs> Naturally, you've put your confidence in backward leading steps, not the forward momentum of comedy. There is something about pride that makes you go backwards. We want to talk more about that the more we deal with the proud on this terrace. Don't you get it? The passage goes on. We're born as worms. And then this is so interesting. But we can morph into the angelic butterfly that soars up to justice without any obstacle. What's interesting here is that most translators choose to make this plural. We're born as worms, but we can morph into angelic butterflies. But it's not. It's singular. The angelic butterfly. This singular anticipates, if you know anything about comedy, the eagle in Paradiso. We will see a group of souls who form an eagle there. But here, we seem to see the notion that people together can become something beautiful. This indicates Dante's vision of a collective redemption. We are individually born as worms, but we can change, morph, become the angelic butterfly that soars up to justice without any obstacle. It's very hard for us to see this. And there's a reason why most translators now put this in the plural, because, of course, we stand in a post-Reformation world, a post-individual salvation world. We stand 
in late phase or at least fully developed capitalism and the individualism that comes out of that. And it's hard for us to understand Dante's collective reasoning here. But if we strip away, it's impossible, but if we do strip away all of that, we might see that Dante's vision of redemption is more collective. And it's that people born as worms, you know, it kind of grosses me out. It grosses me out because it's old Jonathan Edwards and sinners in the hands of an angry God, and it's so, I don't know what, vile about humans, but okay, let's just accept the poetry we're given. We're born as worms, and we can together morph into this thing that can fly up to justice, but of course, what stops us from being collectively redeemed? Pride. Just think about that for a minute. The sin that blocks you from creating a collective redemption is the one that attempts to put you higher than you should be, or looks out for your personal merit more than others, or that somehow sees you on a different plane from everyone else looking down at them. That sin is what stops the collective move in a butterfly formation to justice. The passage goes on, what makes your spirits rip so high and mighty that we have this butterfly, high and mighty, we're getting this lofty image you're about like defective things, and this is where my Protestant spine goes, ugh. You're about like defective things, like a squishy worm that can't even hold its shape. We want to talk about this in a minute because actually it bears out in the passage as a whole. But of course, as I already mentioned, this is this uh, condemnation a la Jonathan Edwards long after Dante. This idea that humans are kind of vile, that they're worms struggling in the dirt. That seems the loudest part of the passage, especially post-Protestant Reformation. But it may not be the loudest part of the passage. It's fascinating that the poet steps out. It's fascinating that the poet interrupts the narrative. It's why people don't like Purgatorio and Paradiso, because the poet becomes increasingly intrusive. But if you look at the story that's surrounding this invective, you'll discover that something really wild is happening. Back to the start. I began master. So the pilgrim has been called to these people coming. He then again addresses Virgil as always as his master. And he says, the ones I see coming toward us don't resemble. Just hold this word in your head for a minute. Resemble people in the least. I don't know what they are. What I see is so confounding. And Virgil replies, the ponderous or heavy quality of their woe pushes them down to the earth so that at first even my eyes seemed out of whack. This is very reminiscent of what happens in Inferno, where the pilgrim is confused momentarily by what he sees, and then he kind of has to write himself and figure it out. Often Virgil helps him in Inferno figure out exactly what he's seeing. But you'll notice here there is a change because Virgil, too, seems momentarily disoriented. Now, Virgil seems to catch up more quickly than the pilgrim, but still, Virgil himself says, I didn't quite get it when I first saw it. But Virgil says, hold your gaze right there. Use your eyes to untangle. And this is such a key word, untangle. What's sitting underneath those stones? At this point, you can already see how each one pounds his chest. So these things are coming along and they're getting closer and closer. And now you can see that there's someone under these rocks 
And these people under these rocks are pounding their chest. This all becomes incredibly more difficult when we go over the invective and then look at the end of the passage. If you are enjoying this episode of the podcast, Walking with Dante, I ask that you consider supporting this podcast. I have a great many fees associated with royalties, licensing, hosting, streaming, editing, the whole bit that goes on to make this podcast happen. There's a PayPal link both in this podcast player and on my website, markscarborough.com or walkingwithdante.com. You can donate there. Thank you to all of you who have donated and are supporting this podcast. I really appreciate it. But again, if you don't want to donate, don't worry. Or you can't donate, don't worry. I'm still walking on. At its back, it starts to hold up a roof or a ceiling just where the base juts out. That's a corbel. That's the uh, pit of a pediment or a foundation that juts out a bit to support a structure. And it says we sometimes see a figure crouching down with its knees pressed against its chest. You probably know these figures from cathedrals and from classical or gothic buildings in which there are figures that seem to be holding up the roof and they're crushed down by the weight of the roof. There's a kind of realism that's going on as these figures are kind of crushed under the weight of the pediment or the roof or whatever in the next story. Sometimes they're sitting at the top of columns or at the bottom of columns and they appear to be pressed down almost, as it says, with their knees against their chest. Oh, do you realize what's happening right here? This is what's so mind-blowing. Art is like these figures, or even more, these figures are like art. Do I have to push you back to the intaglios and the realism claims there? Art is becoming the fundamental way that you know how people react. It's reversing Art is realer than the people and helps you understand it in some fundamental way. And Dante pushes the point that untrue depiction may truly cause distress in someone who sees it. And he's playing with true and untrue throughout this passage. So, again, art causes a reaction out of the viewer. But we know that that figure on the pediment, the corbel, is not real, but it makes us feel feel bad and of course it interprets what we see such were these shapes i saw when at last i can tell what was what here's the thing (laughs) that i love so much not only does art help us understand who these people are who are coming along so art helps us interpret the world oh my gosh but these people are carrying the raw material of art They're carrying stones, which become intaglios, or which become pediments on buildings, or which are crafted into cathedrals. These people are carrying the raw stuff of art, pressing them down to the earth on their backs. Oh my gosh, it's getting so wild. In truth, the passage ends, and all is true and not true, and in truth, and verily so and not so, and all this, and I tried to keep that true in the passage so you'd hear it. In truth, they were more or less crushed by whatever the size of the burdens on their backs. Even the guy who showed the most patience seemed to say through his tears, I just can't anymore. Tony is playing a game with truth and art. The intaglios that we saw were self-evident. 
but the humans are not. And in fact, they don't resemble people until the pilgrim passes them through an artistic memory of some figure on a pediment that then allows him to interpret who they are. And finally, (laughs) one of these penitents says, I just can't anymore. And I want to say, me too. As we say in English, I want to yell, uncle, Dante, what kind of game are you playing? Here come figures that don't look like people, but are people, and I know that because of art, and they're carrying on their back the raw materials of art itself, and you're playing this wild game with truth and art and veracity and realism all through this passage, and then you shove this invective, this prophetic denunciation into the middle of this almost as a diversion, almost as a way to, um, what, direct my gaze away and out to a greater cause of concern for all of humanity, that we're worms and we could be a butterfly flying up to justice. That invective, in fact, is not loose from the passage as we might at first think. It's not shoved into it because the worm at the end can't hold its shape And then we move out to carved figures and big boulders and people who look like the carved figures, which is a shape, which is a structure, which is a form. People have been turned into art or art is turning into people or (laughs) some wild meta reality is breaking out around us. So that invective is in fact connected to the larger passage because the people carrying the stones surely must be tired. And the invective begins, oh, weary wretches, and ends with this idea of a worm that can't hold its shape. Yet the claims around that invective deal with how you know the real. And how do you know the real? Because it looks like art. And what is art? It's a representation of the real. And we have officially entered a hall of mirrors in which we are carrying the raw materials of art on our backs. So wild. Let me read this passage one more time. Purgatorio, Canto 10, lines 112 through 139. I began, Master, the ones I see coming toward us don't resemble people in the least. I don't know what they are. What I see is so confounding. And he replied to me, the ponderous quality of their woe pushes them down to the earth so that at first even my eyes seemed out of whack. But hold your gaze right there. Use your eyes to untangle what's sitting underneath those stones. At this point, you can already see how each one pounds his chest. Oh, proud Christians. Oh, weary wretches. You're sick with those visions that fill up your brains. You've put your confidence in backward leading steps. Don't you get it? We're born as worms, but we can morph into the angelic butterfly that soars up to justice without any obstacle. What makes your spirits rear up so high and mighty? You're about like defective things, like a squishy worm that can't even hold its shape. To hold up a roof or a ceiling just where the base juts out, we sometimes see a figure crouching down with its knees pressed against its chest. That untrue depiction may truly cause distress in someone who sees it. Such were these I saw when at last I could tell what was what. In truth, they were more or less crushed by whatever the size of the burdens on their backs. Even the guy who showed the most patience seemed to say through his tears, I just can't anymore. 
Thanks for being a part of this journey on Walking with Dante. It is so insane. People think that Inferno is the most interesting part of comedy, and that's because they haven't wrestled with Purgatorio, and they don't understand that this theory of art is blowing out around the canto and becoming Dante's unbelievable magnum opus on what art is. Subscribe, rate, do all those things you can to help this podcast stay afloat. Thank you for that. And otherwise, I will see you in the next episode where we will step out of Canto 10, if it was enough for anyone, and into Canto 11. I'm Mark Scarborough, and I'll see you on the journey ahead. <laughs> <laughs>